Okay, do you have a Bible tonight? If you do, let me hear you say amen. 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 It's a privilege to have the Word of God. Can you find the book of Psalms? Should be able to by this point. I ought to open there and find 107, Psalm 107. And we'll take another section of this. Uh, this has been a great psalm, by the way. And uh, we'll go down to verse 23 and uh, go all the way to verse 32. So if you'll go ahead and turn there and uh, let's think about all we have learned out of this psalm about remembering the Lord, worshiping the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord. And um, we're going to, as he's taken us kind of through Israel's history and reminded us of, you know, what led them up, all of the sin that led them up to the exile, the horrors of the exile in Babylon, the imprisonment and the uh, burden and all of that, how uh, life was so horrible. And then they cried out to the Lord, and what did the Lord do? Well, we find throughout the Scripture that the Lord is merciful to those who cry out to Him and who trust in Him. And we have tasted of that. I think of the verse that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Man, we have done that. And what a privilege it is to be one of the Lord's children. And so tonight we're going to go into a section and we are going to, when I was studying it, uh, I, my first thought was, why are we going to the ocean all of a sudden? And then um, I was looking in one commentary and it said some very good things, but it didn't really give me the, the hook that I was looking for for all of this. And so uh, I went to my MacArthur Study Bible to see if he had anything to say about it. And he barely even commented on this whole section. One, one little thing for this whole section. But he mentioned something in there that kind of got everything you know, firing. All the synapses firing in my brain. He said that... Um, most people think this is a reference to Jonah. And when I saw the reference to Jonah, and I started thinking and meditating on this, then it started kind of coming together because it fits with the theme. Through this theme, we've been seeing in the psalm the rebelliousness of the people of God and the mercy of our Lord. And that fits right in here because this section we're going to look at parallels nicely the story of the life of Jonah. We'll have a couple of other scriptures that we'll throw in there as well that'll be on the uh, screen. But I think you will see what's happening. And let's answer a question tonight. Can God make the heart of rebels do his will? And the reason I say that is because he certainly did in the prophet Jonah, didn't he? Jonah was not a bad guy. Jonah was not a drug addict. Jonah was not a person who was involved in sexual sin or anything like that. Jonah was a prophet, and he was a part of the school of the prophets. He's mentioned in um, it's either First or Second Kings uh, as a member of the school of the prophets there. And so he's a man of God. And God chose him, as you know, to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria and to preach there and uh, Jonah of course didn't want to do that now I've heard over the years of life why Jonah didn't want to do that maybe he was just a racist maybe he was prejudiced against other people I don't think that's the case 
I don't think God would call a, a racist or somebody who had hatred in his heart to preach the gospel like he's calling Jonah. I think he's calling Jonah to preach the gospel to Nineveh because Jonah was an obedient, submissive, spirit-filled, gospel-loving, people-loving servant of the Lord. Those kind are the most effective. But there's a problem. Nineveh, as we mentioned, is the capital city of Assyria. So, oh, well, wait a minute. It had been prophesied that Assyria was going to invade and conquer the northern kingdom where Jonah is from, which is called Israel. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer this uh, southern kingdom, Judah, but Assyria is going to conquer Israel, that northern kingdom. Could it be that Jonah got tripped up over his patriotism? He loved his people. He loved his country. And he knew that Assyria was going to come in and conquer. And so here's, I think, what his thought process was. So, if I don't preach, Nineveh doesn't repent, Assyria is destroyed, problem solved. Israel spared because of that. Well, you can't change the will of God. And you can't change what God has prophesied. If God prophesies that Assyria is going to conquer Israel, then Assyria is going to conquer Israel, no matter what anyone does about it. Jonah was trying to take matters into his own hands because he loved his country, and he loved his countrymen, and he didn't want them to be conquered. I can understand that. I can understand that. If we were Ukrainian believers right now gathered with Russia invading us and then I tell you pray for me tonight because I feel like God is leading me to go lead a revival in Russia, you know, what would you think about that? Traitor? How can you do that to your own people? Well, that's kind of where Jonah was. And so if the psalmist here, and I say if because we don't know for sure, but if he's hearkening back to the time of Jonah, you will see, I think, as we start reading in verse 23, uh, the parallels are not really uh, that difficult to spot. It's not in code. Look at verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. That's a high wave. They go down again to the depths. So you can picture the breakers as they're crashing, rising, and falling. And their soul, talking about the, so the sailors, the mariners, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro. Can you picture the sailors? They can't even stand up and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Pretty picturesque, isn't it? Verse 28. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Almost sounds like the disciples too, doesn't it? And then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. 
Oh, that men, we're back to this again. This is kind of like the repeated refrain. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. So when you look at that, it's uh, not something that's an exact parallel, but it does kind of seem like he might be hearkening back to Jonah. And we'll just put it this way, whether the psalmist is or not, we are, okay? So uh, we'll just take off and do it because there's some things that kind of fit and fit together here. And uh, so we'll do our best to try to figure out what the writer meant when he was writing this down and where his heart was and what he was thinking. Perhaps it was Jonah. And um, we'll also try to put ourselves back to understand what the original audience would understand as they would sing this as a worship song unto the Lord. Don't ever forget that Psalms is a book, uh, it's a hymnal of what they would sing to the Lord, if you can imagine. And so uh, I was looking at this, and the first verse we look at, verse 23, I saw something that um, was there that was very obvious. Some people are going to do business in the, uh, in, the, in the sea. They're going to be taking cargo somewhere or going to pick up cargo or something like that. And uh, that's something that is very uh, kind of frequent through the Scripture, different references to the sea, to the ocean, to storms, to ships. The Lord himself, although he was not a sailor, he was a carpenter. Maybe he built boats, we don't know. But uh, he seemed to be very comfortable Uh, around the water and very comfortable on the boats in fact one time he was in a storm and he's asleep while the professional fishermen are panicking that that tells you all you need to know and uh, Jonah kind of did that same thing and so uh, there's always a picture and so many songs and so many hymns are about uh, storms and seas and I thank God for the lighthouse remember that I owe my life to him and songs like that Uh, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. There's another one. You could probably think of a dozen more of those maritime songs that seem to talk about our walk with the Lord and our salvation or our Christian life. Sometimes it's like a stormy sea, isn't it? Even after we get saved, it's not the end of the storms. It's not the end of being on the ship and being tossed about by every wind and wave. That happens to all of us. Even the song, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by a man, uh, Horatio Spafford, who his uh, wife and his children, uh, he had put on a ship, and uh, the ship got in a storm, and it sank, and he lost his wife and his children. So he boarded another ship and had an arrangement with the captain, and uh, one Uh, uh, night he heard a knock at his door he opens the door and the sailor said this is the place and he went out and he looked down into the darkness of those waters where his wife uh, the waters where his wife and his children were buried at sea and he wrote when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like here it is sea billows roll and there he was on the, uh, on the sea in a boat when he wrote that song. So many things 
that we think of when we think about the storms of life. And so on one hand, I could see the psalmist just simply saying, this is a metaphor for life. But at the same time, as he has been doing a history of Israel, perhaps he is continuing with all of that. And as I thought about that first verse that we looked at, it came to my mind, the word of God should cause us to think about the will of God. The two things should come together. What is the will of God for your life? What is the will of God for my life? Now, unfortunately, when we think about the will of God, we think about all of the unknown things. Who should I marry? What kind of business should I uh, be involved in? What kind of car should I buy? All of those kind of things. What should I invest in? What is the future going to be? And we try to treat God like he's a, you know, that magic eight ball thing that we can ask questions to, and he's not. But we forget about the things that the Bible tells us very clearly that are the will of God. John MacArthur has a fantastic sermon on that, and it's called, uh, if I remember right, it's called Found the Will of God. And all he does is take the verses of Scripture that call themselves the will of God and uh, look at that. And he basically says, if you do all of those things, do whatever you want because your mind is lined up with the Lord, your heart is lined up with the Lord. And the main thing is not to find out what it is in these mysterious things what the Lord wants us to do, but what do we find out and what he has revealed and are we doing those things? Okay, got the brain to firing up a little bit because when the psalmist writes about these people going out into the sea verse 23 those who go down to the sea in ships who do business in great waters there's one thing that I didn't notice in there there's no indication that they were led by the Lord there's no indication that they were in the will of God that they were following the will of God the uh, way it is written seems to uh, indicate that they just came to a point where they said, hey, let's go do this. Kind of like Peter after the uh, crucifixion when uh, he is kind of distraught about things and he said, I go fishing. And several of the disciples went with him. It was kind of a, a willy-nilly type decision and that's kind of what this feels like to me. And then that made me think of a verse of Scripture. You remember this in James 4.13? Come now you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Now listen to what James has to say about that. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. What were they boasting about? That they have got time. That they have a tomorrow. And nobody knows that, James says. And so your boasting is arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Boy, how quick we are to just take off on life and to do our plans and our dreams or our, uh, what will we call it uh, now? Oh, our bucket list. And we don't 
take any consideration as to whether it's the will of God or not. And we forget that in the book of Proverbs it says there's a way that seems right to a man. Feels good. It makes sense. We've got the money for it. We've got the time for it. Why not? Okay? But the end thereof are the ways of one uh, verse says death, another says destruction. And why is that? Because your life is precarious and it is very fragile when you don't take into consideration the will of God. And we are so bad about making our plans without even considering whether God... And, and, and I think probably most of us kind of have the idea, well, why wouldn't God want me to do that? It's not really the right question, is it? We ought to be asking, what is the will of God? Why would God want me to do this? How does God get the most glory out of my life through this? Now, when you go to Jonah, and you go to that first chapter, we're told that Jonah, the prophet, the Lord said... Go to Nineveh and uh, preach for me there. And that uh, seems like an easy enough thing. But when you factor in all that Jonah is thinking, the Assyrians are going to destroy my nation and my people, and Nineveh is the capital city, I don't really want them to be spared. And it says in Jonah 1 verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. You ever tried to run from an omnipresent God? The Bible goes on to say he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare. Boy, did he ever pay the fare. And he went down into it and uh, to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. <laughs> Mentioned in there twice. And as you know, that when uh, in the Old Testament, when something is repeated, that's like enlarging the font and putting it in bold print. That's what Jonah was trying to do. He thought he could do what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, where he wanted to do it, and that God wouldn't have anything to say about it. You know, sometimes we kind of think that God is sort of limited, and Jonah found out that God is unlimited. He's ever-present, he's ever-powerful, right? And uh, we think about this God, the, the futility and the foolishness of trying to run from the presence of God that David, in uh, one of his psalms, says, where can I flee from your presence? And uh, that's what Jonah found out. You, you can't. You can't get away from God. And so Jonah was completely discounting the will of God he was doing what seemed right to him and so he does what the psalmist says he takes off to the sea, uh, the sea gets on a cargo ship and um, you know what's the big deal well the word of God should always guide us into the will of God and Jonah was disobeying the word of God go to Nineveh nope go into Tarshish and uh, I'll uh, run and I'll flee from the presence of the Lord. I wonder if he left at night thinking maybe that God couldn't see him. I wonder if he wore different clothes or took a different route. I wonder just what he did 
People do some strange things when they try to sneak away from the Lord and try to cover up their life. So do you make provision from the Word of God to figure out what the will of God is for your life. That's why it's important to be in church. That's why it's important to be in Sunday school. That's why it's important even more to listen when somebody is preaching or teaching uh, you. That's why it's important to have a quiet time and read the Bible for yourself. But it's even more important to obey. And that's why in the New Testament it says we're not to be just hearers of the Word, but we are to be doers of the word. Why? The word reveals the will. And so the word of God should cause us to always think about the will of God. Didn't happen with Jonah. Didn't happen with ancient Israel so many times. They would hear the word of God and they would affirm it. All that the Lord says we will do and then never apply it to everyday life. That's why they ended up with a golden calf and so many other problems that you find in the book of Exodus. So that's number one. The Word and the will. The Word guides us into the will of God. It's not just intuition. It's not just gut feelings or anything like that. It's always got to be affirmed by the Word. Number two, the works of God intersect with our foolish desires. Okay, the works of God intersect with our foolish desires. Does God just say, oh, what are you going to do? Boys will be boys. Not much I can do about them. Is that the kind of God that is presented in the Bible? It's not the God that we find in the Scripture. In fact, we find a God that gets very active about things. Verse 24. They see, these people in the ocean, see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. It is kind of fascinating sea life and the way all of it works and the tides and everything like that. It is fascinating, but the psalmist has something else in mind. Verse 25. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea and they mount up to the heavens and they go down to the depths and as a result their soul melts because of trouble and they reel to and fro and stagger like drunken, like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Boy, the Lord can drive you crazy, can't he? The Lord can take your feet out from under you. The Lord can make circumstances in life like you have never pictured them and you are unprepared for them to be. Now, if the Lord were to just simply say, oh, all I want to do is give you lots of money and good health and everything going well for you, I think uh, um, I may not be able to handle it real well, but I think I would know what to do in that situation. My problem is when I get sick and I can't seem to come out of it, I don't know what to do about that. That's a helpless feeling. But my problem is when I don't have any money, I don't really know what to do because my options are so limited. I get afraid. It's, uh, it feels like it's time to panic when that happens, when wars break out, when there's turmoil, when there's, you know, th think of all of the things in life. When something happens, a death in the family, a rebellious child, a, a divorce or something like that. What, what do you do 
when those things hit. And too often what happens is we're like that ship in that uh, sea where the waves, I mean, you know, there's always some waves. But waves that go up to the heavens, I mean, they're higher than we are. And they crash down and they go back down and even affect the water so that they're like, they're like going down to the depths. Well, that's scary. When life throws you to and fro, when you're staggering around like a drunken man, when you don't know what to hold on to, when you don't know where to go or where to try to hide, that is a terrifying place to be. Some of you have been in that situation. And probably all of us have been in that situation at one time or another, at least for a little while. It's bad enough when it lasts just for a few minutes and then you find out everything's okay. Have you ever had that uh, feeling where you were panicky because you thought something was going to happen and then somebody, maybe a doctor or something like that, said, calm down, it's not cancer or something. <sighs> but for a little bit, you had that panic and you had that fear. Or you thought a child was missing and uh, you look around and you thought your husband had your toddler and your husband thought you had the toddler and where are they? You ever had that happen to you? And then it resolves and oh, we're okay. We've all felt at least those little times of panic. But boy, my heart goes out for those people that are in this situation sometimes for weeks, months, even years or decades. It's a horrible, horrible place to be in this situation. And what is happening in what we're looking at and what we're thinking of, the works of God are intersecting with our life, particularly with our rebellion. Okay, So Jonah is not expecting stormy seas at all. Jonah is expecting, as he flees to Tarshish, as he goes to Joppa first and then gets on the boat to Tarshish, what is he expecting? Smooth sailing. See, trouble if I go to Nineveh, but if I can get over here away from God, away from the presence of God, he won't interrupt and disrupt my life. Smooth sailing. I won't have to do what he said. Who knows how the Ninevites will react. They may not react favorably. This could be costly. And I sure don't want God to be kind to them and to spare them because then there'll be turmoil in my own country. I'll just go over here. My option is to run from God and that's where I'll find peace. Have you ever kind of had the sneaking suspicion that if you could just disobey God, just get away from the Lord, that's what would solve life's problems? Well, I hope you've lived long enough to figure out it doesn't. It doesn't. This God who is ever-present can send a storm your way as quickly as he wants to. And that's what we find when we see what the psalmist speaks of and also what Jonah goes through. Nahum chapter 1 verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way. Listen to this. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He has his way in the storm. It's almost spring in Oklahoma. Maybe we need to think about that a little bit. Things don't happen just willy-nilly or because, quote-unquote, Mother Nature says they're going to happen. No, it's under the control of Father God. Okay? Remember that. Remember that. 
In Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, uh, this is, if you have a King James Version, it's going to uh, give a poor translation of one of these words and can lead you into some error if you're not careful. Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and I create, the King James says, evil. Now that makes it sound like God is the author of sin and the Bible tells us that he's not. Uh, a, a better word for that than evil, and uh, if you were living in 1611, it, this would make sense to you, but in 2022, we think of it a little differently. The word is calamity. I create calamity, havoc, those type of things, like the storm. And he says, I, the Lord, do all these things. Well, what happened to Jonah whenever he ran from the Lord? And Jonah Chapter 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Notice how active the Lord is in this. Jonah is running from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord says, really? And there it goes. A storm on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for him, for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Backslidden prophets are tired all the time, I guess. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, uh, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they uh, said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil, this calamity has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Oh, Jonah's in a predicament. And what did he think he was going to do? Going to get away from God, but the work of God intersected with his life. You ever had that happen to you? You ever thought you could get away with it? You ever thought you watched somebody else? Well, nothing happened to them, so I'll try it. And then it, it seemed like everything fell apart in your life. You know, the Lord, His works will intersect with our stubborn rebelliousness, won't it? You'll run right into Him when you're running away from Him. Because you can't run away from an omnipresent God. Okay, let's move on. Thirdly, the ways of God can change our stubborn minds. Boy, we can be stubborn. Oh, we can be stubborn. The people of Israel were so stubborn. Jonah was so stubborn. So many other people were stubborn. I'm a stubborn person. I make up my mind, this is what I want to do. And then I get to the point of saying, this is what I'm going to do. And nothing is going to stop me. We've all kind of been there. Well, God has ways. God has ways. Verse 28. Then they cry out to the Lord. Well, now that's a change, isn't it? Before they were fine. 
before they were making it on their own, before they were handling everything. Got it, Lord, I don't need you. I'll run from your presence. But now, after the works of God have shown up, I need him desperately. He's the only hope that I have. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still, and then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them into their desired haven. When I think about this, I think about the ways of God. How is it that God works? Well, here it is, basically. If you repent, he's gracious. If you don't, you're going to suffer the consequences. Tell the lost world that. If you repent, you'll find God is gracious, and he'll save whosoever will may come. If you're not, you're going to face him one day as your judge. But believers, we need to understand this as well. The discipline of God is a sign of God's love. And he knows how to stir things up. But he always works the same way. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And we are to not despise the chastening of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 12 says. Because afterwards, it's grievous at one point, but afterwards it, real, it, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. NIV says a harvest of righteousness. I like that. God doesn't spank you just because he's angry. He does it because he wants a harvest of righteousness out of your life. He's training you. He's disciplining you. He's always worked that way. Repent and you're on the right track. And you'll get grace and mercy. Don't repent. You're just going to get more of the same. That's what Jonah had to face up with. The New Testament writers knew that. Dr. Luke said in Acts chapter 10 verse 43, To him all the prophets, so we're talking Old Testament, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the way he's always worked. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 17, going all the way down through verse 210, you find Jonah doing something when the whale swallows him. The sailors throw him overboard. The sea uh, calms. Jonah is swallowed by a whale. What do you do when you were swallowed by a whale? You remember the old commercial, Go Greyhound and Leave the Driving to Us? It's not what Jonah does. We have time to read this? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried. In other words, I was as good as dead. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Isn't that where the psalmist said the wonders of God were? And the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah never lost his hope. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were trapped 
about my head at the roots of the mountains. And I went down into, um, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. Uh, in other words, he was trapped uh, forever. And yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Then my life, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pray regard to, uh, uh, in regard to vain uh, idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. Okay, but Jonah's different. Not praying to an idol. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. I mean, listen to what happens here. Jonah gets in that situation. Where is he going to turn? The old song says, where could I go but to the Lord? That really is the only hope that he has. And what happens out of all of that? The Lord forgives him. And when you read this thing, it wasn't just about Jonah's physical life being spared. It was about Jonah getting right with God. And Jonah says, in the belly of the whale, guess what happened? This backslidden prophet got right with God. And you know the rest of the story. What happened? After Jonah got a free submarine ride, then the whale spit him up heard a preacher say one time backslidden prophets make whales sick and so he throws him up and then he goes to Nineveh doesn't he uh, Adrian Rogers said he was the first guy to float on a, on a foam blubber mattress and number four almost done the worship so we've got the word the works the ways of God and now the worship of God the worship of God reminds us of the goodness of God. And that's why the psalmist said back in 31, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And he elaborates on that. Oh, how different would the world be and life be and our society be and our country be if people could just see the goodness of God? There are lost people today who deserve hell and are going to end up in hell and they have full bellies tonight. And yet there are other people all around the world who don't. What's the difference? Just the goodness of God. Goodness of God. We're not in a subway tonight, huddled, listening to bombs falling all around our city. Why? The goodness of God. Gasoline prices may be high, and we don't like them, and they bother us. But you still put it in your car, and you still drive. Why? The goodness of God. You got clothes on tonight and you're able to stay warm in this cold weather. Why? The goodness of God. On and on and on we could go. But this country doesn't feel like God is good. We think we've earned all of this. We think we deserve all of this. And we don't really turn our hearts toward the Lord. And that's why as Christians we certainly should be different. And we ought to be the thankful ones as we've said throughout this particular uh, series. In the book of Psalms, verse eight, uh, chapter 86, verse 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
And uh, this is going to be weird. Ready for something weird? We'll end on something weird. Okay? We talked about the worship of God. How does that correspond to Jonah? Okay? You ever heard of a left-handed compliment? My apologies to my wife who's left-handed. You know what a left-handed compliment is? It's when a guy goes out with a girl and he wants to say something real nice and he says, um, boy, you don't sweat much for a fat girl. That's supposed to be a compliment. I don't think it would be taken that way, do you? But it's supposed to be. Supposed to be. Jonah kind of gives the Lord a left-handed compliment, we would say. After he preaches in Nineveh, what happens? They repent. What's Jonah's response to that? I knew it. I knew it. Okay. Well, let's read. You don't believe me? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was hot. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said... Now listen to this. This is going to sound critical, but it actually, it actually is true. It actually is a word of praise. This is something that Jonah had learned in the synagogue. This is something Jonah had learned reading the word of God. And it comes out even in his anger. It's still an act of worship, isn't it? Listen to this. O Lord... Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God. Is that true or not? True, isn't it? Isn't that weird? Jonah's not liking it, but it's true. You don't have to like broccoli for it to be good for you, do you? Nothing changes. That's what Jonah is doing here. I knew, I told you, you would be a gracious God and you're merciful and you're slow to anger and you're abounding in steadfast love. Man, that sounds like that could be a song we sing. Relenting from disaster. Jonah's just going, I knew you'd forgive them. I knew you wouldn't destroy them. I knew you'd keep your word because this is what I know about you. And I knew you would do that regardless of of what I did. You know, in in a backwards way, Jonah was affirming everything we know about God. Isn't that interesting? And so when you think about a rebel, whether it's you, one of your children, a spouse or something like that, I want you to think about this. Pray for them to be confronted by the truth of the Word of God. Pray that their life would be intersected by the works of God. Boy, God can wreak havoc in somebody's life if that's the only way that uh, they'll turn to Him. Boy, he He can tear things up and intersect in their life. You think you don't need me? You think you're running from me? Watch this, just like he did with Jonah. Think about the ways of God. Our God is a God who forgives even the worst and the vilest of rebels. Because if you repent, he'll forgive. 
If you continue, then you're going to face judgment. Those are the ways of God. It's clear from beginning to the end of the scripture. That's, how, that's the, the ways of God. And then ask the Lord to make them into a worshiper of God. To come and to know the God of the Bible. The all-present, all-knowing, ever-powerful God. To know this kind, generous, gracious, merciful. Because what's interesting to me is Jonah was ticked off about the very thing that guaranteed his salvation. The promises and the nature and the character of God. And he gets mad when God acts like that towards somebody else. You're not supposed to do that for somebody else. How selfish and how jealous. And what in the world was this prophet trying to do? You see, Jonah throughout this thing and what we read as we parallel it through the Psalms, he was trying to change the heart of God and that's a losing proposition. I'll say that to you. You cannot change the heart, the mind, the will, the plan, the purpose, the word, and the prophecies of God. You can't do it. You can't do it. If God decrees for America to fall in May of this year, you won't stop it. I won't stop it. It's going to happen. Now, see, on one hand, that makes us go, oh, 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 oh no. But it shouldn't. Because it ought to make us think, well, if he's true about that, he's also going to keep his word about John 3.16, isn't he? He's also going to keep his word in the good things that he has promised to us. So, let out a sigh of relief. You're going to be okay. Your God is going to take care of you in the midst of the storms that we may go through. And so, Jonah, let's not be like him, willing to take and partake of the mercy and the grace of God. Oh, isn't this good? Oh, isn't this sweet? Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, this is wonderful. Okay, now give it to somebody else. Nope. And Christians do that every single day. And then we have the audacity to wonder where God is and to wonder why He's not working, wonder where the fruit of the Spirit is in our life. Hey, listen, folks, just repent and start obeying God. Have a heart that is yielded to him. And don't be like Jonah. And don't be like ancient Israel. And so when you find something in the word of God, just obey it. When the works of God confront your life, surrender and submit to them. Don't be stubborn. And remember the ways of God. He forgives sinners like us. And he's kind to sinners like us. And then worship him. Because he is worthy of our praise, even when we've blown it. Even when we are so far away from where we ought to be, he knows. He knows. But it does us good to remember who God is, even if it's in kind of a backward way like Jonah. So when I look at that kind of thing, um, I'm really kind of surprised my parents maybe didn't name me Jonah instead of Greg. Because you know what? I see a lot of me in him. But at the same time, I think we could be Jonah Baptist Church, couldn't we? Because I see a lot of him in all of us. But here's the good news. It's not about the Jonah in us. It's about the mercy and the grace that's in our God. Praise his holy name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Father, tonight, when we think about all of these things that go on in life, some things happen just because it's your will. And uh, just like Jesus being in the boat in the storm, that wasn't because of any of his sin at all. But sometimes the storms come up because we're like Jonah. We're running. We're trying to go our way, trying to do our will, trying to change your mind, trying to get away from the presence of God. And oh, we'd never say that. And yet when we really examine our heart, that's really what we're trying to do. And so we come to you because we know the ways of God. You're a God who loves to forgive. You're a God who is thrilled to forgive. Every time we sin and confess our sin and you get to glorify Jesus and his blood that covers our sin and your plan of redemption and you get to shower mercy and grace upon undeserving sinners like us, you find joy in that. You find gladness in that. And I thank you for that, Lord. I'm sorry that we sin, but I'm so thankful that you're consistent with all of your ways and all of your promises. And even the works you do are designed to bring us back in line with your word and with your will. And so tonight, we'll just say it. You're a God who forgives. And we are the recipients of your forgiveness. You're the God who gives abundant mercy or we wouldn't be here. You're the God who gives grace. We have far more than we could ever deserve. All this in heaven too. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that everything he does is good. It's perfect. It's holy. It's righteous. It's never random. It's never without cause. And if we could only understand things from your perspective, we would see that. But, oh, Lord, we can't. And I thank you that you know that. You remember our frame. We're dust. And thank you for being so patient good and kind to Israel. Thank you for being so good, patient, and kind to Jonah. But, oh, Lord, thank you for being good, patient, and kind to us, to me. Praise your holy name. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, take your uh, newsletter.